welcome to the Christian Formation Podcast. I'm Raven, and I'm here with Andrew, one of the pastors at Providence Church. The goal of this podcast is to help you live all of life with the presence of God. And we do this through conversations about theology, culture, and stories. And today, we're discussing the doctrines of grace. Hi, guys. I'm trying to sound peppy now because last time you told me I sound so stoic. Or maybe I said that. <laughs> I yeah, you, you, have a, you have a change in your voice right when you hit the record button. I it know. kind of like goes down and somber. I know. I think it's just because it feels like so serious. It's, it's not serious. <laughs> you guys, before this, Andrew and I were having a debate on whether or not dreams actually matter or have significance. I think they do. Okay, so that's what I said. You need to define what significance means. I don't think dreams always have to be either from the Lord or like these kind of like light bulb, like they're explaining something deep in your life. But I do think that dreams are things that you're thinking about or like working through in life kind of getting worked out in your sleep. And so I think not always, but I think they can be that. So I think they can have meaning, but they don't always have to have like some big meaning well, or purpose or like divine I know. intervention. I don't know though. Cause so my sister and I talk about this all the time and we talk about dreams and meaning and I feel like 99.9% of the time, I feel like God's telling me something in it or speaking through it. I mean, especially you think every night. Well, no, no, no. I mean, I don't dream. Do you dream every night? Well, no, but see, so it's not like well, every night. How often do you dream then? Um, honestly, the last like four nights I've had a dream every single night and I'm always like, what is this? But last night I had a dream about this person who had a hot dog as like a pet and a child and it had like a face. So I don't think that meant anything, but pretty much I all of the other times. Point. No, <laughs> I truly think that, I don't know. I'll, well, we'll have to do a whole podcast. We'll just have some psychologists come, come on, on and dreams. let us know. <laughs> Maybe somebody will email in and say they have an interpretation for your hot dog dream. (laughs) That would be incredible. Just email us at formation at providenceoma.org. I would love that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, today we're not talking about hot dog dreams or dreams in general. We're actually discussing doctrines of grace. And if you're sitting there thinking, I have no idea what that is, we're about to tell you. You probably heard either the idea of like Calvinism or reformed theology or like tulip or like predestination stuff. So that's basically what we're getting at when we call mm-hmm. it the the doctrines of grace. Before we get into what it is and what that looks like, why does this matter? So I've heard people have conversations about Calvinism and for me that was difficult because I didn't grow up in a Calvinist home. So yeah, why does it matter to understand doctrines of grace. Yeah, the short answer for us as a church. So if you've gone through our membership class, uh, you might know this, but if not, we have a couple different lanes of like theology and the importance of theological categories in our church. So we have what we call our statement of faith, which is what every single member has to believe. And those are like 10 statements over core elements to the gospel. We would say, if you don't agree with one of those, you're actually like out of step with gospel, Mm -hmm. historic Christianity belief. But then we have this other category that we call our Providence Church distinctives, which are theological things that are really important to the life of the church or how we teach and stuff. Uh, And we would say that the doctrines of grace or Calvinism, that idea is in those distinctive categories. So we have, uh, it's actually one of the first ones we talk about in the membership class that we think that's an important thing for our church. It shapes how we as pastors teach in the church. It's like, it kind of like is the foundation 
foundation for how we teach about salvation and what we see in the Bible. We don't think it's like a close-handed issue where like you can be a Christian and not believe this stuff necessarily. But once you know it, as we're preaching and stuff, or as we're teaching, you'll start to sense it like Mm -hmm. coming out a little bit, I think. And so Mm -hmm. it is an important question and it's an important theological category. It's just Mm -hmm. not like what we would say, like a close-handed issue. Yeah. And I think I've noticed that before because especially after working here for three years, I start saying things and then I start to realize what I'm saying and I'm going, oh, I didn't even know that I actually started to believe that. Yeah. So I do think it's good to understand what you're listening to and what you're surrounded by. I mean, it's kind of like that fish culture water thing, like the fish. You hate this example. No, I don't hate it. I just think it's so long, but (laughs) (laughs) it is really helpful. It's a helpful illustration. I don't know who says it. Do you want to explain it? You know it better than I do. I don't understand. What's the context? Well, okay. So this fish looks at another fish and says, hey, how's the water today? And the other fish is like, what water? So often we can be immersed in culture and not actually know. Well, okay. (laughs) For our website, I thought it was too long. But... It's a really good example because we can be surrounded by something and have no idea how it's affecting us. And I think theology is something that does affect us, especially if we are very much involved in our church on a day-to-day basis, week-to-week basis. It's good to know what our church believes. Yeah. And especially when when we're talking about the doctrines of grace or Calvinism, the main question that we're getting at there is, how are people saved? The ultimate question is, whose choice is ultimate or Mm -hmm. the, the ultimate determining factor in our salvation. So Arminians or people who would not believe in the doctrines of grace would say that God chooses us because we choose God. So we choose God first and that means he chooses his elect. Again, almost everyone's going to say there is an elect group of people because you kind of have to from these verses. Mm -hmm. Calvinists or people who believe in the doctrines of grace would say we choose God because God first chose us. So if you think Mm -hmm. of that, it's like, well, that's like the most important question you can ask, right? That's like what the Bible's talking about is how God saves people. And so I think it's this specific issue is important because it's just a greater understanding of salvation, which mm. is not only the greatest gift from the Lord, but it's really what the Bible's talking about is how does a sinful people come into relationship with a holy God and how do we like actually operate together? Well, this question is just asking, what does salvation actually look like? And so... Mm. I think that's why it is really important. So I think a lot of people can kind of write it off as, well, this is just a theological debate that some people have. But at the core, it it really is at getting to the center of how are you saved? That's interesting for me because a lot of conversations and debates I've had with people about Calvinism, people will chalk it up to, well, it's not a matter of salvation, so we don't have to really discuss it further. What do you mean by not a matter of salvation? Maybe like a matter of like that person's salvation? Like basically they would say, we all believe that those who place their trust in Christ are going to heaven and have repented of their sins. So that's true. And we can go back to that foundation. So we don't have to really discuss. That's probably true a little bit. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. So there's a core. How are you saved? Well, it's by the grace of Jesus through your faith in him. Or you can look at Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. So there's like verses like that, that are the very, I don't want to say shallow because they're not shallow, but it's like very like level one. Like that's the Mm -hmm. very basic. 
when we're talking about doctrines of grace, that's almost just going a layer deeper and saying, how does that actually happen? So mm-hmm. it's not necessarily unimportant to salvation. And it's definitely not. I mean, the question is about salvation. It's just we're a layer deeper. People can disagree on this thing where if you were to say it's actually not by grace that you're saved through faith. Well, that you you cannot be a Christian and believe right. that. That's like yeah. that is the baseline belief. What we're talking about is almost just like if you think of layers, it's just a layer down. It's a little bit deeper, mm-hmm. and it's trying to ask the question: How do we get to that point? How does mm-hmm. grace and faith come to you? Um, and so, I think it definitely is about salvation. The topic is salvation. When people say it's not a salvation issue, I wonder if they mean either this doesn't make or break your salvation Mm -hmm. or yeah, this doesn't relate to the baseline. You have to believe this for salvation. Yeah. And I think that's more of what they're meaning. I think it's something where it can become an emotional conversation. And so people will probably pacify it by saying, well, it's okay. I mean, you're still saved. It's fine. Like we'll talk about this. Which is why. So when we talk about our distinctives as a church, we say these things again. Yes, that's true. It's fine to disagree But we do think these things are important enough that we need to at least understand what we're talking about with them and understand that this does actually shape quite a bit of our church. Like Mm -hmm. our understanding of this shapes how we not only see the Bible, so we're going to teach the Bible from this perspective. It shapes how we think of evangelism. It shapes how we think of our Christian life and endurance in the Christian life Mm -hmm. and how we even think about community and like correcting each other, rebuking each other, pushing each other towards holiness. This has like foundational elements to all of that. So we would say it actually is really important to not only a theological debate, but also the Christian life and ministry. Mm -hmm. Um, But with all that being said, we call it a distinctive because we recognize that there are Christians, people that love the Lord, that disagree on this. And we would still say they're Christians. We just think that in this area, they would be off. Not to sound too pompous. (laughs) So then what are the doctrines of grace? We're talking about it. What are they actually? Probably the easiest way to define them would be the acronym that people have given to us before is TULIP. These are five different theological points or doctrines. Total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. Now we can talk a little bit more about each of those and what that means a little bit. So those are five different connected but separate doctrines that really emphasize the grace of God in your salvation. Now, I'm not Mm -hmm. saying that if you don't believe in that, you don't believe in God's grace. I would say that this particularly or specifically emphasizes grace in a greater way. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that's why it's been called the doctrines of grace. Why don't we call them Calvinism or Reformed theology? That's a great question. So most people call it Calvinism. Here's why I don't like that. The reason that most people call it Calvinism is because John Calvin, one of the leading voices in the Reformation, he helped write extensively about the sovereignty of God and these doctrines. The thing that I don't really love about it is most people assume when you call it Calvinism that what we are believing in is a theological concept created by Calvin in the 1600s that now everyone believes. Mm. And that's actually incorrect. So Calvin Mm. wrote about this stuff and he believed in it and he taught it, but he was most definitely not the first one. And so most Presbyterians kind of trace the roots to Calvin. There's even other roots uh, that would be 
what we call reformed or Calvinistic, even if they, they aren't like Presbyterian. So it's not specifically just Calvin or Presbyterians that believe in this. You know, you could go back in church history to a lot of different ages. One of the primary ones is Augustine in I think the 300s. And he was uh, having a debate with a man named Pelagius. And it was over the pretty much the same exact thing over our will and our choosing. So that's 300s. The, mm. This debate's already going on. I would argue Paul's communicating about this stuff. So really we're just getting this from the Bible, not a theological concept from Calvin. I would even say mm-hmm. that Jesus, and especially in John, there's a couple places where he like explicitly communicates this. So by calling it Calvinism, it makes it sound like there was a theologian that came up with something that we now trace our roots to. And I would say it's really not what we're doing. He helped the understanding of the doctrines of grace, but it's I don't think it's super helpful to call it Calvinism. Mm-hmm. We can do that if it's like easiest because that's how most people understand it. But uh, I would say this is a a part of really historical theology for the church. Even look in the Old Testament and there's elements of what we're talking about Mm. all throughout the Bible. Yeah, no, that's good to note because when I heard the doctrines of grace, I thought that was something completely, completely separate. But then I hear Calvinism and I go, oh, I know exactly what that is. So I think that's just helpful for people's framework and mindset. Yeah, and I think it's helpful to frame it around the doctrines of grace because I think that better defines what it is. It's five doctrines or theological points, again, that emphasize the grace of God and salvation. And Calvin does a phenomenal job of laying those out and writing about those. But just to call it Calvinism, I feel like probably elicits more emotional heated responses Mm. that people have or like negative connotations toward it than actually the beauty of it, which is why we try to frame it a little bit differently. Yeah. And going off of something that you said earlier, you were talking about Augustine having a discussion or a debate over a will. So what makes the doctrines of grace so controversial? Is it that idea of will, free will, or what exactly would it be? The main question or debate when we talk about the doctrines of grace is who's, so I said it's about salvation. The question is whose choice is ultimate in salvation? Okay, so who is ultimately choosing who? When we think of God saving humans, who's the determining choice? Is it humans choose God or is it that God chose certain humans to be saved? So when we think of salvation, what's the like, if you like get all the way down to the core, what's the ultimate factor in somebody becoming a Christian? Now, every Christian should and does say that salvation is by grace alone, that Mm -hmm. Jesus like fully is our salvation. The debate is on if you have salvation or you are saved because you chose God or because primarily God chose you. So when we talk about Calvinism, the, um, the, the words like uh, predestination or election or like the elect often comes up. Um, and it kind of, it can seem like that's the debate. Is there an elect people of God? Well, for most people, that's actually not really the debate because uh, in Ephesians 1, 1 Thessalonians 1, Romans 8, 1 Peter 1, all of those have the word elect or predestined or election. So most theologians say like there is some sort of elect. You can't really argue that unless you'd have to figure out how to redefine that word. So that word's in the Bible. So the question really isn't, 
um, does God elect people? Almost everyone will believe mm. that. The question is on what basis does God elect people? Mm. Is it that he chooses uh, freely? He just chooses a people to be saved and then those people choose him? Or is it that um, he elects a people that will choose him or that have ultimately chosen him first? Uh, I don't like this. I can already feel my soul stirring. <laughs> uh, okay, give me some thoughts. Well, what are you thinking? I think the part that is the sticking point for me is when you described it the first time, the second group that you described, which I'm guessing would be Calvinists or people that believe in the doctrines of grace. Basically, God chooses them because they will inevitably choose him back, if that makes sense. Like he chooses his people and they are pretty much like his people, no matter what. Yes. Is that what you meant? Yes. So like if God chose me, I would have to choose him. Like I don't have the ability to choose. to choose him. Yes. Okay. Well, I, yes. Uh, I just, that feels so weird. I don't why? know why. Tell me why. Because I think, okay, this is like the whole growing up with an idea that Christ died for all and that everyone has the opportunity to accept Christ and then switching to, well, Christ died for some and those people will choose him no matter what. Yeah. I would like say just seems weird. It is right. Everyone has the opportunity to, res- so if it, whoever hears the gospel has the opportunity to respond to the gospel in faith. However, the only way you will actually do that is if God first softens your heart and allows you to respond to the gospel and grace. So I could go out and tell somebody the gospel, just me explaining the gospel to them, they have a response. What we're saying is that because of the first doctrine, total depravity, which we'll get into next week, the we are enslaved and dead in sin. So you can hear the gospel, but because you're enslaved to sin, you actually will not choose Mm. to follow God because your whole being is now bent towards sin and rebellion and disbelief. Um, So yeah, all people do have the the chance so long as they hear the gospel to respond to that. They just will choose not to. Hmm. So say God chooses this group of people. If that person doesn't hear the gospel from me so to speak but that person is chosen by god then does that mean at some point someone will share the gospel and that person will get it and be saved like basically it feels like well people are already picked so what's the point of evangelism yeah here's and sharing the gospel yeah so here's here's what i say the we'll get into the evangelism question we can get into that more here in a little bit that i think the way that it works is god is sovereign over the end of all of this so god is sovereign over his people um so before the foundation of the world ephesians 1 says he chose a people to be adopted in the son that means that he sent the son to go die on the cross raising him from the dead to adopt those people that he already chose which means at some point God is going to save those people. Those are his children that he has adopted through Jesus and he will work in their lives to save them. Now he's sovereign over that end. He's also sovereign over the means of getting there. So yeah, it could be, you know, just, um, growing up in a Christian home. It could be evangelism in college or in the workplace. It could be, uh, dreams maybe, you know, Mm. of of something, but God will work in the lives of his people to Mm. save those who Jesus has died for. It's just a hard pill to swallow. I feel like, and it's weird because 
now after being at Providence and I mean, studying scripture too, I do believe that God chooses people. And the only way that we can respond to the Lord is by our hearts being softened and him revealing himself to us. But it's still a hard pill to swallow to think that Christ only died for some. And there are just some people that he didn't pick. And what does that mean? That I share the gospel with my grandma and she doesn't get it. So do I just give up and stop because maybe God hasn't chosen her? Yeah. I think there's a greater confidence that we can have because of the doctrines of grace in our evangelism. So we don't know. I think it was Charles Spurgeon who said, you know, it would be great if everyone had, you know, a big E on them to say like they're a part of the elect, but we don't, you know, we don't know who is a part of the elect. And so our job is to evangelize. It's just to freely sow the seed, Matthew 4. It's just, you know, getting, not Matthew 4. It's to freely, you know, share the gospel and spread the word of God as much as we can. The confidence that we have does not lie in our evangelism, our effort, our, you know, arguments, our apologetics, our anything like that. That's not what we're ultimately confident in. God Mm. can use all those things, but we're confident that he is going to save his people. We don't know who those people are and we've been commanded to go and evangelize. And so we go and evangelize and by God's grace, he works in his people and saves some. Mm. Um, I think it is hard I'm not saying this is an easy like doctrine, especially if, if you're listening to this and this is a new idea to you. Um, I don't think it, it comes really naturally or easy to most people. So I don't want to make it sound like that. Yeah. Um, but I do think hopefully as we go through some of these that we will see that it actually it, there is a lot of hope and there's a lot of confidence mm-hmm. and beauty in these um, beliefs. And I do think even specifically to your question on evangelism, I think it actually will give us more weight and uh, a greater confidence and more, a more God honoring view of evangelism and salvation. If we grasp these doctrines. Yeah. And earlier you had said something about the sovereignty of God. What does that mean? How is it different in the providence of God? Yeah. What is that? God's sovereignty is his Uh, authority and control in the world. So he is the creator, which means he is sovereign over the world. We are his creation. So whether we're talking about just the material things of this world or like the earth itself or us as human beings, we are created things and beings uh, that God is actually in control over and authoritative over. Mm. Now his providence is similar to sovereignty, but it's his, it's like, think of like his control, but not providence means it's not so much a distant dictator who just sets rules, but providence means he's actually like guiding and caring and Mm. like hands on in his creation. And so when we talk about providence, uh, even like our church name, um, Mm. we're saying it's like the guidance, the care and the protection of God, his involvement in our life, that he is actually guiding everything. His hands are in this and with us and guiding us. Um, And so when we talk about sovereignty or providence specifically related to salvation, what we're saying is that ultimately, um, salvation is because of the sovereignty of God, not because we've chosen God. He has in his sovereignty and providence chosen or decided to save some. So if you are a Christian, it's because the Lord has graciously um, elected to, to send his son to die for you and to save you. And he's sovereign 
over that process. Hmm. So just in closing, I know there's tons of questions, at least that I have and that you all probably have too, especially if this is something new. We're going to do more episodes the next couple of weeks just covering the doctrines of grace. But Andrew, just kind of to close, why should we love the doctrines of grace? So this is something that could be new and for some people, this could be something that they've grown up believing, but why is it something that we should truly cherish and love and revere, especially for people that this is something that could be difficult to understand at first yeah. and make sense of? Can I turn it to you? Is there something that comes to your mind of why you should love Because So I would say I've believed this for a while. You've kind of more recently been wrestling through this. Is there anything in your own heart that says like, this is why this is a beautiful doctrine or why we should love it? You can say no. No. <laughs> no, I think for me, it's something that I'm still wrestling with. And in some ways, you know, I hear the argument that it gives us more confidence in our evangelism. And part of me is thinking, well, yeah, because I could just go to someone at the store and think, man, if this is the way that God saves and they just need to hear the gospel, then I have confidence in being able to speak the gospel, even when it's scary, and just trust that God will do the work. But at the same time, I think there's still just a lot of understanding that I need for just how it gives God glory and praise and also how it makes our salvation secure, yeah. I would say. Yeah. Because I think the salvation part is what makes me feel probably the most uneasy. And I'm still trying to understand, I guess, this approach. What do you mean? What, what salvation part? I think it's because if God chooses his people... I mean, on a couple podcast episodes ago, Kyle talked about the wheat and the tares and how some tares look like wheat, but they're not actually God's chosen people or don't actually truly understand the Lord. And I think just the way that I am wired, I have a tendency to operate in like anxiety or fear or what ifs. And so for me, I sometimes get nervous of, well, what if I'm not part of the chosen elect? Like, what if I'm a tear? And then that truly does make me want to go on my knees before the Lord. And I have and said, Lord, continue to lead me, continue to keep me in the fold. But at the same time, it doesn't give me like that confident assurance yet, I guess, because even within the doctrines of grace, I still feel like there's this perseverance that's shown in scriptures that I'm like, what if I don't persevere? You know, it's just that kind of assuming the yeah. worst mentality, which is not great. Yeah. I'm still working well, on hopefully it. Hopefully we'll get through all of that. Maybe by the end of these series of podcasts, you'll be convinced. Yes. But I hope- here's a couple of things I would say that, that why I think we should love this doctrine. Okay. So number one, this theology, I think, gives God the most glory and praise. So I'm not saying that if you don't believe in this, you don't give God glory. But mm-hmm. I do think this particularly gives God uh, the most glory and praise. So if you look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, it says that even as he, this is God, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy, blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption. So here we chose us before the foundation of the world. He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. So Paul's saying Mm -hmm. all of that, this whole thing of predestination, of him choosing us, of him bringing a people together all through Jesus, he did all of that. It says in verse six, to the praise of his glorious grace. So I think we need to remember this doctrine is primarily so that God's grace gets praised. And I think it offers us the chance to actually praise him in greater ways than the opposite. Because 
what we're saying as Calvinists or within the doctrines of grace is that there is legitimately absolutely nothing that I've done mm. to get to my salvation. What yeah. Arminians will say is there is nothing that we add to our salvation except that we choose God. Now they would say that's not a work or anything, but even in that, there is one step that you've taken in choosing God. We are saying there is literally nothing. This is mm. just utterly God's grace and it's for his glory and his praise that all of our salvation has happened. So I think that it actually does um, illuminate and it, it gives us the chance to praise God's glory and grace more. Um, the second one I would say is that uh, I think this gives us a greater appreciation for God's grace. So it's not only just that we praise God's grace and his glory, and it's more, I would argue, God-centered. I also think it just helps us to appreciate grace more. So when we look at Ephesians 2, 8, 9, mm. for by grace you have been saved through faith, not by works. I think, again, most Arminians would say, we're not saying this is a work that we choose God. But in some ways, that is one thing you're doing where what I would want to argue again is that for by grace you've been saved, not through works. I think that even includes you choosing God. Like you literally did not do anything anything to get toward God, he in every respect, even in ultimately choosing, has come down by grace, given you faith. You did not even choose to have faith. He gave you that gift mm. of faith. I think we just have a greater appreciation for the grace of God through these doctrines. And then the other one, you kind of mentioned this already, but I would say this theology means our salvation is actually secure. So we see this in John 10. Jesus says that all that the father gives him are his and he will, like you cannot snatch one of his children mm. out of his hand. Like this is, we are blood bought citizens of the kingdom and the doctrines of grace would say you cannot lose your salvation. You cannot be removed from the fold of God. Like you are in and he is going to keep you. Uh, Romans 8, which we'll probably talk about in one of the podcasts to come, also talks about how those who, you know, he foreknew, he predestined, those he predestined, he called, those he called, he justifies us. He justifies. He sanctifies us. He sanctifies. He glorifies. Like if you're in that string, you're in. Like there's no break. And it's not some people get called or predestined, but they don't actually make it. You know, it's mm. like if you are a blood-bought child of God, you're in. It's secure. And I think to your point, if it is really up to us, if we can choose God, that also means then you should be able to have the free will to not choose God. Mm. And that puts all all of the weight in your Christian life on you. Like ultimately you've got to figure out how to keep yourself close to God. Mm. Uh, what we're saying is that because your salvation was given to you by God, you were chosen by God and you're secure in God, you can actually rest and be far more assured than the opposite. Thank you for joining us today. The goal of the Christian Formation Podcast is to help you live all of life with the presence of God. And we do this through conversations about theology, culture, and stories. If you want to find out more about us, check us out at ProvidenceOmaha.org. If you have podcast topics, comments, or questions, please email us at formation at ProvidenceOmaha.org. We'll see you next week.